Welcome to Roots and Routes, where we journey across continents and generations. I'm your host Lena. Join us as we delve into the childhood stories of amazing guests. We'll investigate those pivotal moments, uncovering how cultural traditions and family values shape dreams. From bustling cities to quiet towns, old school wisdom to new age innovation. We'll piece together how parenting styles intersect with personal journeys. Whether you are a parent, educator, or curious soul, get ready for heartwarming stories and deep conversations that broaden your horizons. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Roots and Routes. I'm Lena. After the first episode, some of our listeners asked me why I'm particularly drawn to childhood stories. Well, as a mother of two, I have the unique opportunity to closely observe human beings as they grow and develop from the very beginning. I'm often curious about how they will turn out as adults. And for those adults that I have met in my life, I often picture them as kids, asking them about their childhood to trace the small dots that could potentially link to some of their behaviors or perceptions. There is the old Chinese saying, "At three years old, one sees the elder." This means a person's natural qualities and the character can be observed from a very young age and may persist into their old age. We may not all have children, but we all have childhood. Childhood is such a unique lens to see people and the world. It constructs a special reality that we may never experience in our adulthood again. I believe. Every childhood story is worth telling. That's why I started this podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce our very first guest, Ethan Young, who has been known as a cancer survivor and a social innovator. What actually happened with cancer and with all the work I'm doing these days? The beginning of everything was I became a workplace fallout. This gap, and if you think about it, all these things was just because the train left the station. His journey to this point is filled with unique experiences and the personal challenges. We were in shock. Just couldn't really process. Tumor, cancer, and all these things—we just couldn't really put all these things together in our head. I was shocked. I was scared, and I was confused. I was angry. I was all these things.、It、was terrible. In this episode, we're going to explore Ethan's life path before and after his battle with cancer, uncovering the layers of his family dynamics and childhood memories that reveal a side of Ethan that hasn't been covered by the mainstream media. Before we jump into this intimate conversation with Ethan, let me give you a brief overview of his background and the remarkable work he has done for those who may not be familiar. Ethan was 
Jason and I shared some years working at Uber back in 2016. In the 15 years of shining in the design and the creative industry, Ethan identified himself as a typical corporate person dedicated to the daily hustle of climbing the career ladder. Ethan led creative teams at Uber, Lululemon, Ogilvy, and Saatchi and Saatchi, earning global accolades, including the prestigious Cannes Young Lion Award. He was the up-and-coming corporate star, excelling in this career path. Until one day, he was diagnosed with cancer. At that time, he was only 33. And he and his wife were just about to welcome their first child. Cancer became a pivotal moment in Ethan's life, forcing him to stop everything and focus sorely on his own battle for survival. A treatment journey that spent two years and took him back and forth between China and the United States. When he finally won the battle with cancer and prepared to return to the workforce, Ethan came to a profound realization: his path as a designer, creative director, and a corporate star had been forever changed. Two years of a career gap. Left a scar on his corporate resume, creating difficulties for him to re-enter the working field. As a cancer survivor, he found it hard to openly address this topic in his professional life. It's hard to convince hiring companies that he was still qualified for the job, just as he was two years ago. He even had a recruiter hang up the phone in shock when he mentioned his battle with cancer. During those years without work, Ethan returned to school. He earned his master's degree in design at the University of Washington, then became a adjunct professor teaching young college students design. Through his learning and teaching experience, Ethan conducted research on the topic of gap years and their impacts on people's social existence. Soon, he discovered that, in general, the stigma of a career gap applies to a broader range of people worldwide, not only to cancer survivors, but also to stay-at-home parents, veterans, or individuals who have faced incarceration but are looking to reintegrate into society. He realized that even though these individuals had overcome significant life challenges, such as battling cancer, raising children alone, and experiencing warfare, and possessed critical skills like grit, determination, resilience, ownership, dedication, and empathy, many hiring companies still focused on candidates' hard skills and resumes, overlooking their essential soft skills and failing to appreciate their human qualities. Ethan felt strongly about this social injustice and knew he needed to take action to break this unspoken stigma. Chinese renowned writer Lu Xun once said, "In the world, there was no road, but as more people walked, a path was forged." 
In 2019, Eason founded NAD, standing for Not Entirely Dead, a social enterprise determined to confront the stigma surrounding cancer survivors. The organization is committed to advocating, coaching, and supporting all cancer survivors on their journey back to their desired careers. This time, Ethan chose to share his story with the world louder than ever. He rediscovered his social existence not as a corporate superstar, but as a social activist seeking social change. In recognition of his impactful work. Not entirely dead was named the 2022 Social Design of the Year by the American Institute of Graphic Arts, and boasts the 2023 world-changing idea and the 2023 Innovation by Fast Companies Design Award. Ethan has been featured by NPR and TED Talk, discussing his journey as a social innovator and entrepreneur. Today, through a heartwarming conversation with Ethan, we are going to delve into his childhood and the family dynamics, his roots and routes, exploring all the clues in his past that have shaped the path he walks today. On the Monday night, Ethan came over to my house for our interview. He had just finished a long day hustling outside for his social enterprise. About a month ago, he sent his wife and daughter back to China so he can focus more on his daily work. While he entered my house, I looked at him. He seemed a bit tired, but still holding up well. We sat down together and talked about his cancer, his family, and his past. So, here's our conversation. Let's start with the moment that you found out that you had cancer. How did your family react? Did everybody cope with this in different ways? I think so. Yes. When my parents find out, they <laughs> they wanted to reject this thing. Just like, no, that's not true. You didn't get cancer. No, let's go to a second opinion. Let's go to a third opinion. You don't have cancer. Don't、mm-hmm. listen to them. That probably、uh, took several days, you know, for my parents to actually get to a point like, okay, well, we need to just take this in, accept this reality.、Mm-hmm. But another thing was happening、um, that same week. My wife was going to give birth to our daughter. In seven days, that was such a. I don't even know how to describe that life moment. Yeah, you can't really verbalize that. I think that for me was also difficult. That it just it created so many questions about、mm-hmm. life. We just never would understand why the timing, why you, why me, why、it's、just like a lot of question marks. Life is tricky. <laughs> it is tricky. Why you are battling with death. But then, you are embracing a new life. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for being so honest. Just like even me thinking about it and trying to feel how your parents process that and what they have been through. Yeah. 
because I'm a parent now. Because、yeah. I can never ever imagine my kid going through that. You know, we're parents. Even like having a small cold or flu, I know. We just feel like, okay, let me take that. Right? I'll take yes. that. Yes. So. That brings us to the moment that your daughter was born. Supposed to be a happy moment with、yeah. joy and tears, all attentions on that. But meanwhile, you are dealing with a lot of things at the same time. But still, you are first time father. So how、right. did that feel? Ooh.、Um... Of course, complicated. Like you said, that was supposed to be the moment, just full of joy, and this is a new chapter of life. Supposed to be the only focal point, right? But no, we had several focal points. Yeah, you know, the same moment, and here's this new life. The other hand, we were also thinking about just facing mortality. Right? Mm-hmm. So there are so many more focal points, and no one could actually say. What to do or prioritize things.、And、that was tricky. That was difficult. I met my daughter a few weeks later, actually, when she was a month old. <laughs> so I missed the moment in the first few weeks, and but still, it's magical when you actually hold a child so small and so tiny. It's magical feeling, and also that probably gave me a lot of motivation for life. If、uh, we have to think about all these question mark, like why and all these things. You know, it's not the worst timing. Let's say you still feel like there's hope. You have to just keep fight on. Now it's not just for yourself; it's for the entire family. Building up your social enterprise, not entirely that. I know that's a new role for you. That's、yeah. a new mission. You're so passionate about this, and you put a lot of time and efforts on it. But meanwhile, your daughter was young, and she still needs a lot of attention,、yeah. a lot of care, a lot of time. Yeah. So, how has your life been in the past years with your daughter? Um, pretty busy for the past few years was probably the busiest for my entire life. Even thinking about when we were both at Uber several years ago, we thought we were hustling、mm-hmm. for this company, and there was time for hustle culture for this relatively early stage startup. But compared to what I've been hustling in recent years, that was actually. A joke that was nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> for、know. the past few years, it was really busy. But also, after I became a father, I think all of us, for parents, probably changed. Like, how would you want to leave your legacy, or what do you want your kids, your children, to remember you as? Right? Do you want them to remember you as a, let's say, CEO of a company, big corporate person? A successful something something, or you just want them to remember you. My parent, my father, had this fight for his life, and he never gives up. I don't think I want my daughter to remember me as all these things. They don't need to know what we do for a long time until they start to understand the career and stuff, right? But I want her to know when things are hard in life. What are the attitude you actually put on? What are you actually doing? How do you summon all your powers to? Go through. So, how did you allocate your time on your daughter, and、yeah. meanwhile, on your business? I just work a lot, you know, because、um, having kids on the side、um, consume a lot of time. So, I I just get up early and I just sleep late. Any moment that you feel guilty that oh, I didn't have enough time with my daughter, or I wish I would have have a little bit more time with her, and I think what I'm building here. At this moment, is more important, but she will understand later. 
I <laughs> I always feel guilty. I always feel guilty. I think every day I feel guilty. Of course, I could just like you know a normal father and right. We're just like playing all the time and watching TV all the time. Bluey, right? We just laugh <laughs> and hysterical. All these things. Of course, I could do all these things, but I had other things to do. Seems like probably pretty important to our society, you know,、mm-hmm. the community. But it's also the question like, why I have to do this, right?、Mm-hmm. Why it's me, and why I have to spend all this time、mm-hmm. around it, and I couldn't spend the time with my family. So I, I always feel guilty.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be honest, even me as a full-time mom. I felt guilty all the time too. I just think that's like a natural thing for parents, and you just always wish you could give more or、yeah. you could give all you had, but you can never really give everything. It's a balance.、Um, so you just sent your wife and daughter back to China. Yeah. How did you make that decision? Not a rational decision. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No one could actually. Understand that, including myself. It's、uh, another heavy decision we had to make because、mm-hmm. um, we thought the business, you know, organization at this pivotal point.、Um, I probably needed to focus on this for,、um, let's say, you know, at least a few more months. So we just kind of like prioritized this in a way, but definitely very, very heavy decision. Not easy. But I guess a lot of immigrant families, you know, have gone through this in the past. You know, yeah, for absolutely. Two hundred years, let's say that, right? So it's not something completely crazy. But when you are doing it, yeah, it's、uh, it's just heavy. I understand how time-consuming when kids are around. Yeah. Even though you are not one hundred percent engaging, playing with them, but、yeah. still that consumes your attention. Yeah. You can't fully focus. You can't fully concentrate on your job. So, if you really want to achieve something, you really want to get something done. You really want to accomplish something. Having them around, and I just know for sure, in reality, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it is a very tough decision. But if you don't do this business right now, it's either now or never. Right. Yeah, that's probably right. Because you know, when you have family around and when you have kids around, you probably just need like thirty-six hours a day. Even more than that. Right. The time <laughs> is not enough. Yeah, it's <laughs> difficult for every family. Like I、yeah. see working parents all the time making this kind of decisions. But I'm curious how you and your wife、uh, come to agreement on this. How you guys discuss about this and plan things out together as a team. I guess I realized I couldn't even help. When I have all these things I I had to do and we just don't have enough time, I realized I couldn't even help. So we had to make a change. We had to make a different you know arrangement. I guess that's just as team, we probably have to do different kind of organizational design. So that's、yes. how we figured. <laughs> so far, have you felt yourself becoming more efficient?、Mm-hmm. Yes, I think. Of course, it's you know it's working at least in reality. I have the time, right? I have the focus. But my heart hurts every day because yeah, you miss them.、So、yeah,、badly. I miss them. I, I miss them. I, my heart hurts every day, and I, I I ask myself this question every single day. I'm pretty sure a lot of entrepreneurs probably you know have gone through this all the time. It's am I making the right decision? Right? I'm actually doing the right thing. Yeah, I can't answer that question. I know. I know. I, know. I can't imagine that being able to see my kids every day,、yeah. and it's a blessing. Especially your daughter is still very young,、yeah. and these years are not going to come back. So、yeah. I'm just navigating all the options. Like, how、mm-hmm. should I do this? There's no, there's no 
a better way to do it. Yeah, know? I know. There, <laughs> right? there is absolutely no better way to do it. No way. No way. Um, all right. So now I'm ready to dive into your childhood,、okay. which is the most important part that I、yeah. really want to know about. So, how would you describe yourself as a child? Like how old as a child? You can say when you were a toddler, when you were in the、uh, elementary school, when you were a high schooler,、yeah. a teenager, and you know how would you describe that child? As a toddler, probably the earliest memory I still remember was when I was four.、Hmm. Um, I was in preschool, kindergarten, whatever it was called.、Um, I escaped one day. I just ran away. How I, did you do that? <laughs> I know. I just,、uh, you know, I I still remember that day. I remember the teacher was doing something in the kitchen, or you know, preparing something, and there were like probably twenty, thirty kids in the room. I was short when I was little, so I I was actually sitting in probably the first or the second row, pretty close to the door.、Mm-hmm. We were just like kids, right? Probably、mm-hmm. I don't know, chatting and stuff, like just being kids. And I just I just felt bored. I just ran away. <laughs> um. <laughs> and nobody noticed that. Well, that was the eighties. Eighties、um, in Beijing. It was eighties in Beijing,、mm-hmm. so things were different, right? Safety wasn't the big issue by then. So there was a four years old a toddler running on the road. Probably was not as dangerous as these days. Not too many cars, but still was probably pretty strange.、Uh, or didn't have any strategy. I didn't know where to go. So I.、Um, I ran to、uh, my father's work. Uh huh. That's probably the first place that you would think of. I or probably the place I actually knew,、mm, you know, where yes, it was. Yes, I know. And that was not close. <laughs> you know, it was probably <laughs> like, like, probably like, I don't know, half a mile away, at least. So you walked all the way there. I don't know. I don't remember those details, <laughs> but I just remember like、oh、I put、uh, yeah, I pushed the door. You know, I just ran. And nowadays, you know, if I think from adult perspective, I guess the teacher was just freaking out. Absolutely, right,、And、completely. Your parents, if they find out, they were. <laughs> Right, but that was before like cell phone, before all these yeah you know, communication tools. Yeah, so they couldn't really find out until he saw you right like, standing until, in front of the door. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess you know I remember what happened was I went to see my father and my father saw me and probably a couple hours later he just sent me back to preschool. I was an outlier. I was a rebellion. I I tried to run away from these things, you know,、mm-hmm. and. That was the first time I ran away. I didn't remember the second time, but my parents told me I ran away a second time,、um, probably just a year later or something. So I, I tried twice just to escape from that, you know, boring preschool. Okay, so Ethan Yang, that toddler who tried to escape from the school many times, I guess that's how you describe that kid. That was very early. Mm-hmm. Stage. I didn't feel that strange because I actually did the same thing when I was in preschool or whatever that's called. Because in China we just call that place 幼儿园 which means preschool and kindergarten. They are together. Yeah, yeah. So back then I had one time I escaped from my preschool as well, but I was with one of my classmates, and I was on the way to go to my father's office too. And then eventually we were discovered by the teachers and some grownups and who are like looking for us all over the. Place,、yeah. um, 
I actually think that was very interesting thing that would happen in our childhood in China. So、It's, all the kids just try to escape. I know, and also we could have managed it. I mean, we succeed, which I enjoyed it. Which is really funny because nowadays I don't think kids are capable of doing that、Enjoying. in the preschool, right? So they have the system, and、yeah. they need to make sure everybody is safe. Back then, we had the chance to、yeah. do that. Do you know why they can't do these things these days? Why? Because we tried too many times when we were younger. <laughs> yeah, so now they're trying to prevent that. Right. That's very interesting. So,、um, what about when you were in elementary school? Elementary school, I was perfect student. I think elementary school, entire six year, probably including like junior high, you know, another three year. I just, I probably started to cultivate my competitiveness in all the academics. You know.、Mm-hmm. I was the perfect student. I was always the best, and always wanted to compete with other smart kids, just、mm-hmm. on the grades. But there was, <laughs> I was terrible in sports. Oh,、okay. so I was a stereotype. Stereotype of Asian kids. <laughs> I was stereotype. I was completely a stereotype. Well, so you said you were very competitive. Were you naturally born in that way, or your parents kind of pushed you or shaped you in that way? It was probably myself. Because I don't recall like my parents were trying to push me when I was in school. Because I was just always good, and I always just got it.、Mm. I didn't even need any help or need other people just to push me. I just hated to be like number two or number three. You know, I just hated that feeling. Th- what's the difference of number two <laughs> and number、know. three? I just hated that feeling. I just, I just hated to lose. You know, I just wanted to win. That, so that was me. <laughs> What would happen if you lose? I guess I would probably just feel embarrassed, you know. Just it, even number two. Yeah, possibly. That was the motivation. I just wanted to win. I wanted to look good. Okay, so you hate the feeling of losing, but when you lose, how would you react? I would just study harder so、okay. I could actually win, and no one else would actually get a chance the next time. That was me. I was I was really dark when I was young, you know. <laughs> you know, my parents always told me the second place or third place are just as good as the first place. It doesn't matter. It's the same. That was not me. No, not me. I, I guess you know. Probably my parents told me the same thing, but no, not me. And my husband, his father would tell him, if you were not number one, the second place, the third place are meaningless. I don't know how your parents send the message about their perspective or their expectation about those competition. Um, we probably never talk about that because in my entire family, no one actually has that. Oh really? Yeah, it's it's, it's so it's, your parents are like laid back. They're、style. chill, you know.、Oh. I'm not chill. They're wow. Chill. Okay. They're chill. They, I mean, they probably get it. Of course, you know, if your kid is going strong, doing great in school, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. We don't have to talk about it. I know. Yeah. And right. So that's on his own. Exactly. That was a good thing to them. So, if you would recall any moments that you feel like, oh, you learned some lesson from your parents, what are those lessons? I think I remember probably I was already in high school because we had this test in China, which is like the ultimate SAT thing, right? You know, we、oh, have to、yeah. go through to get into college. That year, when we were all preparing that, my father talked about resilience all the time because、mm. it's a hard thing to do, right?、Yes. You have to push this every day. You're just tired. Also, when you're 18 and going through that pressure, it's、uh, it's terrifying.、Right? Then, how would you describe your relationship with your parents then, as a child? 
child and adult. Well, I think that's probably just like most Asian families. We have the trouble actually express our feelings,、mm. talking about affection. From your understanding, what is their love language? What is the moment when they say "I love you," but they would express in a different way? Um, that's a good question. I guess that would probably just when we were younger, we were all fighting with our parents on little things and stuff. They would just walk away. They would just stop fighting. I guess that would probably just the ultimate form. Like, okay, I'm not gonna fight you on this. We're not gonna hurt each other's feelings. Okay, so basically, they would just accept and they would compromise because they don't want to get in fight with you. I think so. Sounds like you and your parents were kind, distant, but somehow has this connection deep down in there. But both of you guys cannot really vocalize it. No one can. We're Asian family. <laughs> You're Asian. You understand this? No one can. We just can't say these these、really? things, right? I mean, nowadays we can to our kids, but I couldn't as a kid. I couldn't. Do you remember any time through your life that you said "I love you" to your parents? Never. No,、wow. possibly not.、Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> you know that. Well, yeah, I guess my parents' love language is always asking me, "Did you eat today? Yeah, yeah. Did you have enough food? Yeah. Are you hungry? You are too thin.、Yeah. You need to eat more." Yeah, that's their love language,、yeah. and I get it. I know. No matter if I'm a child or adult, it's always the same. <laughs> Did you eat today? Yeah. Looking back to the whole childhood of yours, what are the moments that you would identify as the pivotal moments that you feel like this could connect it to how I become the person today?、Um, that's a hard question because I was probably the kid run away from systems. The preschool. Yeah,、maybe. I I think that person it's still in me. I'm still outlier. I'm still trying to hack systems. So you know, run away from these mundane stuff. I think that was me. And I'm still competitive, but in different ways. I think I could push through stuff. You know, that was also something I've learned about myself.、Mm-hmm. So, how would you describe your own parenting style these days?、Um, do you watch Bluey?、Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. So, I think my role model is Bluey's dad. Oh yeah, that's many parents' role model, and it's unreal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's my role model. I think you know、mm-hmm. that's、uh, how、um, he treated daughters. That's just wonderful, right? That's magical. So, do you mean that is the、uh, parenting style that you? I would love you are... to, you know, just pursue that. Okay.、Yeah. So the reality version of your parenting style is just being silly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I would love to see that side of you though, because I've never really seen you being around your daughter,、mm-hmm. and I wonder how that was like. Can you recall any interesting conversation that you had with your daughter recently? Oh yeah.、Um, gosh, that's heavy.、Um, you know, I I was driving、uh, my family to the airport, and they were doing the ticketing in the airport, and you know that was a difficult time, right, for、yeah. for us, like you know, to say goodbye and all that. So.、Mm-hmm. My wife and I, I just like deliberately trying not to look into each other's eyes because that's、oh, you know that's gonna、I、trigger、know. that's gonna trigger stuff. Yeah.、Um, you were holding tight right. there. Right.、Um, but you know, my daughter, she's in this age. She's、um, she wanted to express her feelings, and she wanted also to make sure I'll be okay.、Mm-hmm. So when we're in the terminal,、um, she just 
climb up on big luggage and told me like, you know, Dad, I want to talk to you. And I just went, yeah, sure. You know, what do you want to talk about? She actually gave me a few advice. She told me, I want you to focus on your work. That's the first thing. The second thing, don't forget about your homework, whatever those things are. You know, don't forget to shave, <laughs> uh, which I, you know, forget about those things all the time. The fourth thing was buy some new clothes. <laughs> Who's the parent here? <laughs> exactly. Um, that, that was you know, one of the conversations I realized, gosh. I would have cried hard. I know. I, I lost it. I lost it. And, you know, my... And I couldn't remember uh, my daughter actually looked into my eyes. I could see she was holding on it. I could see her eyes just became watery, but nothing actually came up. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment I realized, oh, gosh, that's a tough kid. That's a tough kid. That's a tough kid who that's might also kid. run away from system. And also, I realized how resilient kids can be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can't even compete. Yes, that is so beautiful. I just can't I did imagine. buy some new clothes. You know, I listened. <laughs> I did buy some new clothes. I think that was probably you good know, job, Daddy. <laughs> yeah, I, that was very important. That is part of your homework assigned by your daughter. Yeah, I think that's a part of parenting too. It's we're also learning from them. Yes. Yeah, we're learning a lot from the children. Yeah. Now I have better sense about, you know, how Ethan used to be this like little child who ran away from school. And nowadays, you know, doing the world changing project that is trying to help the society to become a better world. I really admire your courage. And I also admire you making tough decisions such as sending your kids away from you. That is the most tough decision that a parent could ever done. But you did it and you're doing it with this unknown of how this enterprise will be so i really wish not entirely dead will have a really bright future and i really wish this impact can be spread out broader and help more people help the world to become a better place so our children will have better future yeah so good luck with your personal projects i wish one day i could meet with your wife and your child you will yeah, yeah that tough soon. kid <laughs> After the interview, I watched as Ethan drove away into the darkness, and I couldn't help but wonder how it felt for him to return to an empty home. Perhaps he didn't have time to process this now, or maybe he simply needed a good night's sleep to continue his fight. A week later, Ethan received a call from his doctor congratulating him on reaching the five-year mark of being cancer-free. On that same day, he also received the Fast Company's Design Award. He referred to this award as Hard Won and shared on his LinkedIn profile, I still wish these were five years I never had to experience, and no one else should either. I'm looking forward to the continuing story of the child who ran away from the system and the adult who is now renovating it. If you find Ethan's story relatable, or if you'd like to support his work, please visit notentirelydead.org to explore this community and get involved. We can all be part of this social change. A moment that seemed to last forever 
It's a world where everything is known and worth knowing. A moment where everything is good and nothing is lacking. It's a world where nothing is evil and everything is possible. A moment where everything is believed and nothing is questioned. Is a world where everything is clear and nothing is hidden. A moment where you think the story is the way the world is. A moment is when you can say, "If you were ever young, if you ever had a childhood." Thank you for listening today. If you like my podcast, you're welcome to subscribe to it on Apple Podcast and Spotify. You can also subscribe to my newsletter, Substack.com/slash/atlinalee, or find me on Instagram, Roots and Rouse Podcast. In our next episode, we will have an intimate conversation with Rebecca Joe Rashdi. A mompreneur with a diverse family background and remarkable nomadic life journeys. Just moving around, being a nomad—it's in our DNA. You know, it's one of those questions everyone always asks, like, "Where are you from?" And I'm like, "Wow, that's like probably the most simple yet most complicated question to ask me." Rebecca is a certified Kamari Method consultant who founded Spark Joy and Flow, a coaching and consulting company. That helps people around the world find joy at work and the personal space that truly flows. She's also an expert in corporate speaking, motivational speaking, and course creation. People are gonna think I'm weird wanting to do professional organizing. That's one of my favorite quotes by Rumi as well, which is "Follow your joy; it will not lead you astray." Rebecca's life has been constantly on the move since she was a child. She has moved 11 times internationally across Asia to Europe and has a record of traveling 35 cities in a year with her husband and children. I moved around so much, but I still carried so much emotional baggage with me. So now I'm able to help people, guide people, and teach them how to let go with gratitude. We will have our next episode with Rebecca about her unique perspectives. Through her global nomad life and her personal journey of letting go, stay tuned. See you next time.